0: Welcome back to another of On Coaching with Magnus and Marcus. I'm Steve Magnus, the coach at the University of Houston, author of Peak Performance, and joined by my uh, colleague, John Marcus, head coach of High Performance West. John, and sometimes,
1: in- Let's Run message board reader. So shout out to my our peoples at letsrun.com on the message boards. Good going on the forum, seeing that people listen. Thank you. It's a privilege. It's an honor. I'm happy, only- happy, happy to respond.
0: I'm going to give a, a shout out to uh, my uh, Australian coaching buddy who said he listened to our podcast over and over again for hours straight on a several hundred mile drive. So um, international dedication there, love it. Thank you. Yes, just
1: thank you. It's humbling. So in that vein, we always try to give the people what they want, and I know our Let's Learn message board people are asking for more specificity about concrete training design and implementation we're gonna to get to that the next podcast because steve and i just read a book congruently that validated reinforced and excited us in a lot of ways and unfortunately it wasn't from our sponsor of the podcast peak performance
0: I <laughs> which is a
1: great book and you must read that too or else <laughs> but it was another book steve what book were you reading and i reading simultaneously that got us all
0: we were, uh, we were reading Athletics How to Become a Champion by Percy Wells Sarity. Who? Who's this? Who's this? The man, the myth, the legend who coached the undefeated miler Herb Elliott, who was the Olympic champ and world record holder and ran a 354 mile back in 1960. On, I think that's when they're still running on Cinders. Yeah. On not not very nice <laughs> tracks. Or then, grass. Yes. 1960, 354 mile. Pretty impressive, I'd say. Undefeated in, in the mile throughout his career, which is uh mind blowing, right? And did it yeah. did it as an amateur with no mm-hmm. money, no foundation, mm-hmm. et cetera. Mm-hmm. Sarity was also coaching essentially as an amateur. Um Because coaches didn't get paid back then, and still might not get paid now.
1: (laughs) But hey, you know, you always gotta ask yourself this question: Is it for love or money? You know
0: what I mean? That's right. And and you know, you know, I I've read Sarity some of the training, or some of the books and articles written about his training, and he's always been an influence. But I never read from the horse's mouth, right? His own words, his own things, because his books were wildly out of print. And thankfully, a publisher revived, I think, three or four of his books, PMA books, it looks like, revived Mm -hmm. several of his books. And we just happened to pick this one up, and it is absolute gold.
1: And what I love about Percy is he is a polymath.
0: He is a well-read,
1: well-rounded individual in the humanities, in philosophy, in history, in science at that time. You know, he references reading Marcus Aurelius, Plato, Socrates, Nietzsche, Kant, at that time Freud, um, or Jung in psychology were brand new, Einstein. So this is a a seeker. This is a lifelong learner who is taking a bunch of different information fields and kind of blending them into his worldview of how he's solving the puzzle of preparing young men, and even young women at that time, not just to be athletic giants and competitive athletic beasts, but also fully self-resilient, self-dependent,
0: developed people. Well, I I think that's the the overarching theme of this book, is you're developing people. And if you develop people, they will become better athletes. And I think for diving too too far in or too far wide, like one of the quotes that sum that up, on reaching across domains and being a polymath, as he said, I have read widely on all subjects, ranging from Freud, Buddha, and Jesus to Carol, Jeans, and Einstein. What have these hundred or more authorities, scientists, philosoph- philosophers to do with world class athletic performance? I say everything. And that's you know, and, and I think you know when I read this, and that was in the first part of his forward. I'm thinking, "Holy shit, this guy gets it!" Like this yes. guy figured it out <laughs> exactly. Right.
1: He, this is 1960. He knew it 50 years ago. Like yeah. Steve and I are the biggest and everyone else imbeciles in the world because we're like, "Oh, this this guy knew already."
0: Right. And uh, yet, my, my next. And book. yet,
1: his work was understand and not available for so long until this very generous person who was actually a pupil of his yes. decided to republish it because it, it was
0: something that needed to be out there for well, geeks like self steve and you well it's it, it's interesting because if you read between the lines here is during his day it during, this was written in the late 50s um early 60s during his day he was in a kind of coaching battle against fran stample Right, So it was Serity versus Stanfield and then a couple years later, Lydiard came in, right? And Stanfell was the coach who advised Roger Bannister and was very heavily in, uh, interval influenced. And I think what this shows is that ultimately, I think, Lydiard won out, but they were all three trying to get their coaching ideas, concepts out there. And it's interesting looking, you know, almost 60 years later, um, on what ideas survived and what gems got lost to history. Um, because oh, for they, sure. And,
1: know. I mean, let's, if we go real quickly to page 108, you know, he, he talks about effort versus impact. And I'm going to read quote. Work does, emphasis his, does do things, but simple, again, emphasis his, but simple, never did great things or every laborer would become a rich man. Everyone who trains sincerely and long, a champion, we know they do not. It is the quality of the work that is important. Let me quote this adage again work does things, intelligent, emphasized, work does things better.
0: So I underline I that exact passage. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> I underline that exact passage, and, you know, it's a lot of times, and even in that let's run thread that you referenced at the beginning, everyone wants the details, right? And we're happy to give them, and we'll give them, again, I wrote a whole freaking book on the details, right? Um, But it's these profound messages, these overarching principles that I think... make the difference from a coach um more so than any of the do this workout do that workout and if you're looking for a a workout prescription then sarity is not do not read this book but if you're looking to become a better coach athlete or most importantly person then that's what this book about is about and that quote you read about work and intelligent work doing that that is principle number one of coaching right Mm Well,
1: yeah, Yeah, I mean, the difficulty, right, is we can sit here and talk about biomotor energy systems, um, you know, a lactic, anaerobic, lactic threshold, anaerobic threshold, whatever, whatever, whatever. And, you know, we can scientifically say, okay, you can engage this energy system. It has this type of fuel for this duration. You can create circumstances in a workout to expose an athlete to help buffer or tolerate that exposure to that type of work for a little bit longer duration. And, you know, that sport science is very valuable and very important. But the hard part is is when you put it into a box and they're all separate energies and you forget that it's not hard and fast lines and um, like bricks that are, you have to scaffold when building a building. It's more like, I'd say, layers in a cake. They're mushy. They kind of mush together. They bleed together. So and that's the way the body works is it does – nothing works in isolation ever. And when we say – when we show up and say today is an aerobic tempo, it's like, well, there's a – that could be the primary theme of the day. But if you are – I'm not going to say misinformed. If you're under-informed, and that's the hard part with education is if you're under-informed, then you take it at elementary superficial level. Steve and I attempt to champion – By living, you know, flat out saying we don't know it all and we're still searching and always learning that we are trying to upgrade our under information to better, but still being under informed because there's so much to know. I think that's how you have to look at it. These hard and fast rules provide you with the elementary level of introduction, introductory education, but then it's your job to go out and go self-learn because that is what learning really is. All learning is self-learning. You can go to an institution or a certification course and they can vomit information at you for 12 hours or four years or whatever. And then what do you do is in our world, in ed- you know, classic education, they vomit information at you, you digest it, and then you have to vomit it or repeat it right back to them. And if you do, you get the A. But if you're trying to make a difference, if you're trying to do something diff- you know, impactful rather than just simply do something with a lot of effort – and create a transformative impact versus a transactional effort, then you have to do this deep, deep work. And it was inspiring to see Percy do that or have done that, even in the first part of the 20th century.
0: Exactly. And, and you know, what I found so interesting is that we we talk about skin in the game a lot on this podcast, and, and Percy, his message throughout this book is essentially like, be invested, like have skin in the game. Um, there's several sections in here where he talks about how theory is great, but like you need to actually do it, right? He talks about experiencing what the work is like for yourself. So going through it as yes. a coach and understanding it. And although it's not in this book, there's this wonderful story that I looked up afterwards of – it might have been in this book too. Who knows? Um, it all blends together. But this wonderful story of before Herb Elliott, his prize pupil, won the um, won the gold medal in the 50s. Oh yeah, in the race.
1: Yeah, it's a good one. Yeah,
0: he like, Sarity goes down to the warm up track the day before and just runs an all out mile, and he says something to the effect of, "You tomorrow, you may run faster, but you will never run harder." I have yes done. love it right and his point yes his point isn't to say hey uh you know arrogance or whatever It's it's essentially like hey skin in the game like i'm going through this with you like let's go like the point is to run your ass off you know
1: right and he's he's demonstrating i am running as hard as i can all out my maximum my best effort because that's where art lies is in your best effort Ceiling of your limitations, full expression effort. And he's saying, even though the the time is not the same as yours, I am challenging you to beat my effort. Because we're not measuring time and place in our little um, comparison. What he's saying to me, or saying to Herb is, I'm challenging you to give me a better effort than I just gave you. And because he's challenging him, to give that better effort, he knows – Percy knows that if Herb accepts and manifests and expresses that, that that type of effort from a Herb will be the best in the world at that time and will be worthy of being first place. Because he – you know, Percy doesn't think anyone else in the world is as prepared as Herb to do what he can do or can express physically if Herb is giving his 100 percent maximum best effort. And that's what I love about it. And that mind game right there is a good mind game. It's a coach's – I have skin in this game and I have the same goal for you that I have for – or that you have for me. And we hold each other to account that as your coach, your goal for me is to give you my best. And as the coach that works with you, my goal for you is for you as the athlete to give me your best. And so it's this mutual, um, you know, symbiotic relationship, and it's just beautiful.
0: Exactly. And, and, you know, I think there's another section in this book where he talks a little bit about giving effort. And, well, I'll read the passage and then give you my take. What page? Page 166, bottom of it. It says, Indeed, the mental blockages to free physical expression as well as to freed... Mental approaches are so serious that it is possible to say no athlete that I have ever associated with has ever been capable of delivering more than 80% of the effort he could normally, by my standards, be expected to deliver on a strength and condition basis of his full powers. All, emphasis is, are inhibited. Mm-hmm. All are fear- fearful. All tend to hold back all fail to believe fully maybe this is because of being human therefore governed to some extent by human frailties and and what that acknowledgement there means to me is that he's saying he's sitting there saying like hey to go all in to give 100% is damn near impossible right we're all going to fail we're all going to be fearful we're all going to be inhibited but the point of it is to try and get as most out of you as you can. And to say, to say that is that we're never, ever going to reach our full potential. So it's about the journey of getting there, right? Because if you acknowledge that it's damn near impossible to get everything out, that means there's always more to give. There's always more that we can come out, get out of it. And in the process of coaching... And the process of training is to figure out how to slightly get a little bit more out each subsequent race.
1: Exact, exactly. On, continuing on that point is, you know, Steve and I, we get field questions or people are curious, you know, how do you run workouts by feel? And, you know, the, the whole point of the feeling is, okay, we, we take the number because the number can either record or direct, run as the coach, you can you can either create an exchange that is coach to athlete, or you can allow an exchange to be that is athlete to coach, coach back to athlete. So what do I mean by that? Let me break that down real quick as an aside here. Coach to athlete, athlete does a rep, and you say, you know, hey, that was good. You're 69.7. Uh, you know, the target was 68.5. You need to get a little faster on this next one. Here's how you do that, and then you give them the answer the coach to athlete or I mean athlete to coach back to athlete model is going up after a rep say for me a rep and you say hey how was that for you walk me through it and they'll say oh well you know and they're all of a sudden revealing all this information to you as the coach that you are curious about but if you're just saying I'm going to sit here and judge you as the taskmaster whether you're doing the task i told you to do or not at the prescription or not you've lost a lot of information to get extract from the athlete every single rep right and so if that athlete reveals these things but oh i was thinking about this or this hurt or then you can respond as the coach and help redirect their focus in the session and you can also give them the feedback that you want to give them, that feedback on the cues. But that allows for a much, much more deeper and potent exchange in a way to get more value out of that session with the athlete. So a lot of times we as coaches, we're so excited. We want to come in and we want to help. feel like we have the answers to these simple problems these young men and women are facing in a, a running, race, racing or technical or workout scenario. And we're just going to vomit that information on pause, stop ask them first to walk you through it if they walk you through it first that can color your response in ways you never even thought they might be thinking feeling expressing things ways you never thought because remember you know as coaches what we want is we want the athletes to feel what we know so if I know that I can get you in, you know in a physical preparedness state to run a race or express a race at this Level of competency: 4:30 for the mile, 4 flat for the mile, whatever. I want you to feel what that those speeds feel like, and feel what I know. But if we miss, if we don't bridge that, then we're you know sitting ducks and we're dead in the water here. And going back to like you know, Percy was talking about that amazing passage, which I underlined as well. My my you know side notes were critical mental and emotional observation about the insecurities of being in the human condition and spot on there's so much insecurity but if you try to create security by saying you do these workouts at this prescription then you're going to hit this pace or hit this target time which is great to have don't get me wrong that's a good way to develop people's relationship with what things feel like but you might have also put a big ceiling on them that oh coach only thinks I have to I'm capable of running a 420 mile so I'm just gonna meet his ex or her expectation and that's it. But maybe that kid maybe a 420 mile is seventh in this race. But maybe this kid's a feisty little kid and just hey maybe they go win and like I don't know where that came from coach I just decided I could win and I won and I run a 414 and you're sitting there scratching your head and be like. Man, no the workouts or mileage or anything we've been doing is even indicative of that. But that's where the human potential lies is not that opportunity. And I think that's what Steve and I get so passionate about is not getting caught up in the security that you're progressing metabolically or to- in a tolerant state through your energy system or your biomotor abilities. But giving the kid an opportunity, the athlete an opportunity to express themselves fully and see what happens.
0: Right. And I I think sometimes that gets a little confused is that we're not sitting here saying like, oh, like, so the extreme of this is Percy would would just go do everything by feel, right? And like he would very seldom time things according to himself, right? And only if it actually mattered would they actually go to the track and see stuff. Um, We're not saying like, oh, don't ever use a watch don't ever prescribe paces etc that's not the point we're saying change your relationship with the watch or with the prescription yes yes right Is your relationship isn't to be the dictator to say all right this next one needs to be in 65 seconds right so i'll go to my athletes and say hey here's our interval here's our workout today it could be something traditional like four by mile I'll be like, hey, start off around this effort, or this. It should be about this pace, but just feel it out, right? And then as a coach, like your job's to sit there and analyze, react, and change, right? So if they come through and I said, hey, this first one like should feel 5K pace, and I say maybe about 4:40, and they uh, they come through and it's 4:35, and they're looking great, and say, hey, how was that? They're like, I feel great, coach. All right well now you don't sit there and be like well the metabolic standard for this workout and my prescription pace is supposed to be 440 pace Mm because all your all your data all your data is is sending you a different signal now so you say all right Mm -hmm. like let's adjust and see what the where this goes but the point you made is that if our relationship is in the other direction where the prescription dominates, then what happens is we end up holding holding ourselves back. Because it's no different than a teacher going in and stating in the, or telling a kid or in their head labeling a kid that, oh, this kid's not that smart. What mm-hmm. happens then? Well, research proves like we just sit there and say, all right, he's not that smart. I'm not going to... Consciously or subconsciously, give them my my full attention or full full bore, right? Well, you
1: uh, you develop a, a cognitive bias it's, to say they're invalid. They're not getting it easily, and therefore, as a teacher, I just move on. And I like interacting with the student or the pupil that gets my teaching and my method and the information I'm trying to employ very rapidly because they can, you know, be task oriented and good little monkeys parents
0: and just repeat everything back to me as i said it exactly you know? it it's mm. it, and i think that's a, such a uh important point to have because like we all tend to have favorites and get biased towards individuals right we all have those athletes like oh like oh they didn't run well but so and so over here ran well so my training program is good because we all have this like this fear, this insecurity, where if something goes wrong, if someone doesn't run well, then it feels really bad to blame ourselves and to look at us mm-hmm. and be like, "Oh man, I failed. Like whatever I was doing sucked." Um, it doesn't feel it doesn't feel good to come come to come to fruition with that, regardless of if you're coaching, teaching, or some sort of business or whatever your job or uh, endeavor is. And I think that's part right. of the part of the problem in coaching. Is that we have to kind of come to terms with that and make sure that we don't set individuals up and don't label them. And I think right. if if you read Percy's book through it over and over again, he talks about exploring the potential of humans, of the person mm. and not setting limits and and in there he uses the example of Herb Elliott who was a four twenty high school miler and then, you know, came down the next year and broke four essentially. Um compared to John Landy, who was um, maybe much more like talented. 40, yeah, yeah he was much, much faster early on, matured it, much more rapidly. It, exactly. And, you know, in his day, he points out, you know, they had different ideas on how athletes had to be tall or, or mm-hmm. couldn't be short, and he goes through a list and disproves that. And I think his point in there is to say that, like, you don't, you and I, no one knows the potential of any human we're not that well, I good.
1: think this goes back to your your tweet that you threw out a couple of days ago when you're at World Steve was we based we look at these outliers who achieve magnificent things on the world stage or competitive stage of the olympics world records whatever and then we attempt to you know take the principles or the things the outliers did and apply that to normal average everyday athletes and say well let's just copy what this outlier did because that's their "quote unquote" way and their system and their model of training, and it won them a gold medal. So it will probably get you better.
0: <laughs> right, exactly. And that that prescription and it goes back to this book too. That part of this half this book is I feel like a rant against prescriptions. Right. There's yeah. a whole section in here on on um, you know not following some program and how. You know, great performance isn't a result of this program, the schedule that everyone wrote. Because in his day, especially with the the rise of interval training, and the actually the rise of technology allowed to track intervals and time them right. Because we're talking about fifties mm-hmm. and sixties, so technology drives it. And at the same time, you were you were getting uh, in the forties and fifties heart rate data that was driving things. Right, and he was kind of the lone voice on the outskirts saying, like, No, no, don't go all in this direction, like we have to have this this old school this this effort that matters
1: well, it's knowing how to use the tools, right, and so you have these tools, I mean, but you have to know w- what's the most impactful, effective way to employ it. You know we're not trying to get to this automation where athletes are some type of physiological robot that you say." run these number of k's at your vo2 max pace and then two weeks later you do it a little faster and you a little faster you're you're guaranteed no you know no ifs or buts to get more efficient because that's all we're doing and as much as science wants to make it predictable because that's the job of science is to take data and try to create some type of you know causation to some or in, in correlation to some causation and just say okay well we have these numbers and this happens, so how do they relate? Sometimes, you know, most times you, you have to blend the hard with the soft, the hard science with the soft science. You know, I can go up and teach a curriculum and be very banal and, monotone and it's not really going to capture people's hearts and minds. But if I go up and sit in front of people and teach a curriculum with enthusiasm and encouragement, getting people to get involved with, you know, demonstrations, you know, calling people on 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 them for their interpretation of something, all of a sudden that curriculum's come alive. And it's a much different experience. So, you know, when Steve and I are sitting here bashing traditional methods, what we're saying is we've become reliant on that being the only thing that your role as a coach is, is to be a you know a, a workout writer, and then you guys do these workouts and then you'll be good. Because we as coaches, we love talking about training. I mean, this is a whole podcast. <laughs> it's just us talking about training and thinking about training methods and employing different strategies for it. But the athlete, they like competing. They like racing. They just like, coach, I want to beat people. I want to be good. Don't ever lose that. And sometimes we bog, especially durns people down because they're smart. And I go, well, how do I get better? Well, you get better through the work, hard work, commitment, etc. Okay, well, what does that look like from a practical standpoint? Well, it looks like doing a long run here, programming training there, doing these, doing this, doing all these tasks. But if you're not, you know, really, really clear on how the tasks bleed into getting that athlete more competitive and more excited to compete, you know, that's what Percy is doing is he's – He's waving a flag and saying, hey, guys, just FYI, this is the new darling, but these methods have been – You know, this is the new darling that's just putting a, some clarification and some conciseness on what we've been doing for a long time without the tool. And yeah, it's good to have tools. I, I, I like having nice tools. It's, it's, it's fun. But you should know what the tool is for and that it's not to be used every single day, every single second. It is a tool to employ for certain scenarios to help maybe reinforce, to help check in, to you know help validate in some occasions. But don't use it for what most people want is reassurance because you can give reassurance all the time, reassurance after reassurance. That is an endless pit that you can spend time and energy throwing things into. At the end of the day, trust is what counts. And trust and attention, that's the economy you really traffic in. And those things are in very short supply. And how do you create trust and attention? You just keep showing up every day and giving it everything you have. Well, And
0: if you do that, you're in a good spot. Well, think about in terms of attention, what happens. And I'm guilty of this myself. Like, Think of what happens in attention as a coach. If you're hand, you're holding either your phone as a stopwatch or even your stopwatch. What what happens? What what happens during an interval? Where does your attention get drawn to? It the numbers dr- on the screen. It, yes, it gets drawn away from the athlete you're watching, and down to the numbers on the screen. Even if it's for a split second, right? Your your watch is dictating things. And what I've started to do, occasionally more often as a coach, is I'll just stop timing things. Like I'll just won't do it because I want my attention on the athlete. And I know the athletes will get the, you know, they'll get the time if I want it, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. And, and what I've noticed is like, because your attention becomes on the athlete as a whole, you learn and you pick up the different nuances that you normally wouldn't right because your focus is on them so you see the subtle hints of tiredness fatigue you see differences in like how they're popping off the ground and stuff like that and that data becomes so much more valuable than looking down and saying like that was a 61.2 or a 60.7 you know
1: i don't know how that feels like i mean and then maybe that's what you're trying to do when you say that you're trying to say Hey, here's how you're feeling and this is the time. Can you equate this feeling with this rhythm or this time? I mean, there's better ways to communicate that feeling you're trying to expose the athlete to than give them some arbitrary number that has no feeling. Feeling numbers don't have feelings. They don't they don't associate with the sensual part of your brain. So, they accentuate with the analytical side.
0: Yeah. So, you, you know, when I was a young athlete and I didn't I didn't get this lesson at the time very well. But I remember Tom Tellez taking me down on the track and we just ran 200s. And he's like, I just want you to run 30. And then I ran 30 and he's like, no, no. I want you to feel what 30 feels like. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> and I'm like, like, you know, as a 17-year-old, I'm like, what the hell does that mean? You know, mm-hmm. I just ran 30, man. I was spot on. But I was spot on with a watch, right? right? And it took a while, but he's like, no. He's like, his example was, was this. He's like, Pay attention to your arm swing and think of it as like your your subtle foot on the gas, right? When mm-hmm. you're driving a car, you're not thinking like, oh, I need to push the gas a little bit to get up to 60 miles an hour, and then I see the dial go to 60, and then I know I'm on that spot, so I'm going to hold it there. No, like when you accelerate off a line, like you just feel it after a while. You've been driving for a while. You know what it takes to get up to 60 or in that range. And it's like that that should be what you feel when you're running right you should know like oh this rhythm right here feels like 60 and if I want to go down to 58 what I do this just little subtle push on the gas and maybe maybe that's like a slightly faster arm swing or slightly faster through the range of motion whatever that feeling is that sensation is what you're after right and you know with my athletes a lot of times i talk about rhythm and being rhythmical and and trying to get them to capture that idea that it's not the split that matters right it's that's not what we're after because if i go out and tell you again here's another tom teles story i remember uh, i think it was my sophomore no my junior year in college we went out to this little middle of nowhere meet and I ran a three forty six or 347 1500 just essentially, you know, leading, right? Mm-hmm. And it was my opener, and I'm thinking, like, yeah, that was a pretty dang good opener. And he comes up to me, he's like, I didn't recognize you out there. What in the hell were you doing? <laughs> <laughs> and and the it. reason he said that is, like, no, no, like, the time you ran it, but that doesn't matter. Like, you got away from what it felt like. Like, you grinded through it. Like you forced your way because of your fitness to run three forty seven you didn't mm-hmm. allow your body to just do it, and at the time, you know, I was like, dude, I ran pretty well, but mm-hmm. you know afterwards it's like, oh, that's what he meant right and 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 I think that is the same reason that a coach like and Tom's a very scientific s coach but i I think that's the same message that Percy's getting across in this book is that. It's about the sensation and it's about the feeling of effort and and understanding what different effort levels should feel like, right?
1: Right. Well, he got you to feel what he knows from a scientific standpoint, right? That's the brilliance of a master coach. Anyone who's a master at their craft can talk to you at the highly complex you know, level about, and that's what Steve and I could do. We could sit on here and spat off all these scientific terms and lose many people in translation and probably lose ourselves in translation. But what we we try to do is break things down into the most simple elements. So I am famous for speaking a lot in metaphors, you know, stories and analogies and similes because those things get to feelings. Stories make you feel something. But if I simply sat here and regurgitated very scientific term that you you don't really they're newer terms to some to most athletes so they don't know if you say today is going to be an a threshold day guys people are like what what's, he talk, what's this guy talking about <laughs> it doesn't have a feeling right or we're going to use the primary substrate today is going to be fatty acids used on your oxidative recovery run people are like oh, what what is this you know, and that's that's not what we want. We don't want the athletes shaking their head. What we're trying to do is infuse them with a certain power. And I'm, you know, going to read a couple different um, passages here from Percy's book about power. One that correlates a little bit to the benefits and importance of strength training, which he was a huge proponent of um, back in the day, and understood his significance, and also just our own personal power in general. So, you know, um, from page one to ten. There's a couple senses. It's like, how does the athlete relax yet deliver full power? It's not as easy as it appears on the surface. There is an art and skill in exerting power to one's best advantage. Make no mistake, power must, underlined, be there. Nothing can be done today without great strength, mostly developed and inbuilt since we are now functioning above the result derived from natural strength as found in the endowed athlete. Champion the champion today needs to added strength, built in by added exercise, but acquiring of this added strength appears to be fraught with much danger. Skipping ahead to page one fifty four. However, it is now being realized that power, physical strength, is the prime mover, that this power can be built in That greater strength can make for greater agility, skill, for endurance, because with greater strength, we do a greater task easier, therefore can continue longer. It also becomes increasingly realized that advantageous aids such as Sandhill, the barbell, best provide this added power, strength, and is the factor today in high speeds and superior performances in all sports, not of just today, but of tomorrow. If we then add the gym rope, the horizontal bar, extre- etc., and the mountain climb as essential aids to power, strength, we move to what I have been teaching and preaching for years. Power, strength has always been behind fast running, long throwing. Although weak people prefer to dissect technique, as if technique alone is all that is required to enable a weak man to run a mile in under four minutes, exclamation point. (laughs) That is a pretty juicy, deep intersection of a lot of ideas. Steve, let's give the people a break from my voice. How about you unpack part of that for us?
0: Well, I'm going to give you one more quote on that page 155. Okay. Anything that conspires to make us stronger, freer, more resilient, conquering, all that trains us to endure, to sustain suffering that calls on our best qualities continually is conditioning.
1: Hold on, let's go to the next paragraph because I have that continued on line. Whether one wishes to be a runner, field games exponent, footballer, tennis or golf man, whatever the sport, I hold the athlete is well advised if he is able to do so, to spend six months of each year conditioning himself, making himself stronger, more active, vigorous, and virile. Whew Lordy, lordy.
0: All right, we're just going to read this whole book, and then you guys will be Rich. good. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
1: so, my goodness.
0: So uh, uh, there's a lot to unpack there, and, uh, and I'll start with This is is realize that he was professing for middle-distance and long-distance athletes to lift weights all the way back in 1947. Mm-hmm. Now, th- now, think about the, that historically there. 1947, before baseball players um, really had strength and conditioning, before it was ingrained in football culture. before Or, sport, sport,
1: or for basketball.
0: Basketball. Yeah. Before all that. All right. Now, now, I'm not trying to build it up, but like that – just understand the culture and the ideas that, that are coming through here. This is before strength and conditioning coaches existed. <laughs> right, exactly. Before we had to be certified in anything. Uh,
1: so Right, but he just saw the natural advantage. Like, oh, why don't I pick up this? And if I pick up this repeatedly, then I'll get stronger. The You know, quick aside before I let Steve jump back in here. And then two, he gives the spot on. Appropriate prescription for lifting weights. You start at three reps or three sets of five to six reps, and you don't want to be to failure. You want to be as so you could only do maybe one more in that set. As your strength builds, you naturally get up to 10 reps. When you get up to 10 reps easily, then you add weight. I mean, I feel like I was just reading Jimmy Radcliffe when I read that.
0: <laughs> so, and that's the brilliance is it's very simple, but it's very, very profound, right? Um, and, and I think the other, the other point on all this is that in here he defines that everything is essentially conditioning, right? Anything mm-hmm. that will make you stronger, more powerful, more in, in to endure, ability to endure is conditioning. And I think what he's saying there is a point missed on by a lot of coaches is when we get this idea that like, oh, like to get better, we do these intervals on the track or we go into the strength or in other sports, we go into the strength and conditioning room. And this is where our training takes place. And what he's saying is like, no, training, training takes place. It's life. Like they're, they're interchangeable. It's like what you do, regardless of whether it's at some defined practice or not is is conditioning, And we need to take advantage of it. And if you looked at the environment he had with sand dunes and stuff like that, is he created these massive, crazy circuits um, to create that strength and power because that's what he had available to him, right? And I think that's something that we need to get across to in our, in our, own, head, our own coaching endeavors is that a lot of times we complain about our facilities or our or our ability to you know get in the weight room like i've talked about or the track that we have and he's saying no like use your environment create the stimulus that you want regardless of what it is and create athletes and that's the last Mm -hmm. point in this unpacking is that if you look at through this whole book it's athletes right (laughs) it it it's athleticism it's developing the person as a whole and he doesn't break it down as like you're you're a runner so you need to run right it's developing this athletic ability that that goes beyond um goes beyond just the sport of running and that's why he he mentions you know tennis players and golf Players and 400-meter specialists and 100-meter specialists all coming to his, you know, essential training camp in the middle of the right. sa- sand dunes and saying, hey, like, yeah, this isn't was. It was, it
1: was a, let's say for what it is, it was a performance gym. As go. today, people yep. go to some, you know, private performance, quote-unquote, gym. We know how to get you prepared for the demands of your sport, whatever, whatever. That was his. That was his
0: price. That was you know. That was Porsche. <laughs> and, and I think this this quote from him sums it up on chapter nine, page one twenty nine. Athleticism, in my view, is not a sport nor a cult. It is a way of life. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it is that... a
1: means to me. All activities are based in sweat and effort. Right. Certainly, it is my prime enthusiasm. And although I have never. As of yet been able to live on it or even buy it <laughs> that was my favorite part it's his prime enthusiasm what he loves to do it's a way of life he doesn't need to get paid to reinforce the validity of living this way of life that's a nice byproduct, sure, but that's not the thing. The thing is the way of life
0: right exactly and I think that you know that's kind of a grander theme in his whole coaching philosophy it seems is it's this life lessons in this life intersection of athletics and too often in sport we separate things out right where it's
1: well we try to we try you know it's like Vern gambetta you know our friend and mentor he's always like i specialize in being a generalist and you know you we need you need you specialize but when specialization becomes separate silos right disattached from each other that's when you get in trouble. You can break components down. Go part, 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 whole. That's fine. Teach part of a component. Teach another part of a component. But make sure everyone knows and is on the same page how the the parts add up to the sum that creates the whole. Mm-hmm. And don't just isolate for the sake of isolate or specialize for the sake of specializing. And that, I think Steve and I, you know, biggest um, myth that we try to unpack here in this podcast on coaching is – reality is, you know, you might have an aversion. It's like, well, I took this clinic or certification, and all they said for endurance athletes was work the engine, work the metabolic component, and that's the main thing, the oxidative exchange, VO2 max, whatever, that gets you stronger, and that makes you run faster. And I agree. It does. If your engine is really good and more powerful, you can go faster. However, if your, you know, alignment is off, or if you have a back wheel that's flat or not on, that car ain't going nowhere, right? So this is where the big argument comes for sprint coaches and distance coaches. Like, distance coaches like, aerobic engine. And sprint coaches go, technique. You know, how contact time on the ground. How you negotiate and navigate the ground and inter, interact with the ground It matters. It does. Because, you know, how many people have we seen who have great aerobic ability, but keep getting hurt, keep getting hurt, keep getting hurt. Or you throw them in shoes and orthotics that all of a sudden put a m- short-term fix on a long-term problem. Meaning – you know, all these guys and gals at Percy's Place, they trained, they ran barefoot in the sand, barefoot on the grass because they were able to. Only sometimes would they put on shoes to run. And those were the very, basically what we call flats today, mm-hmm. very thin, insulated flats to run over rocky terrain. So they were forced to negotiate the ground very biomechanically efficient because it was like breathing to them. They didn't have to think about breathing in oxygen or think about their biomechanics because that's just how the foot moves when it's barefoot against the ground. That's how we were designed. But now we have these very cushioned or stabilizing shoes or whatever that are supposed to help protect us from the ground. And it's true. The artificial cement that exists in the world is not something the human foot was meant to, you know, transverse over. But if you're not doing some type of intelligent barefoot component or, you know, um, flat or spike or I mean, probably flat actually component in your training and preparation, the further getting away from the ground, every time you get out of that cushion shoe, you're just going to get hurt. Or when you, oh, I can't coach, how many these are here? Oh, coach, you can't wear spikes. You get hurt every time
0: you wear spikes. Well, to me, it's a rough flag. It's like, we got to get you strong. <laughs> well, th- well, think, think, think about it like this, right? All right. Like, think about it. And this is where I think it gets back to uh, the life. And athleticism connection, right? Where you can't separate the two. Think about all the non-runners in the world, right? The people who don't exercise, but maybe are still thin, whatever. Never go for a run, but still have feet issues, right? Foot problems. Mm. And that, you know, and just from walking around, it's like... Just think about the fact that people get hurt from walking around, Right? From walking around in shoes, which blows mm-hmm. my mind when you think about it from a long-term thing, like something as simple as moving across the ground that we've been developed to do for you know hundreds of thousands of years, um, still people get injured. Not even including the impact of running, and now we add this running component in, and it and our injury rates go through the roof, right? And I think what you're seeing here is that. A lot of times is it's the separation of what do you do in your daily life versus it's not it's not always about just your daily life and your athleticism. It's like everything intertwined. And what I mean yep. by that in this is the sense that like how many people have you seen get hurt who wear you know I don't know heels walking around during the day and then go for a run and their Achilles is all jacked up. Right. Yep. Mm -hmm. And it's like, Mm -hmm. and then we blame like, Oh, well we shouldn't have built up the mileage this much. No, it's because like for, you know, 18 hours of the day, whatever it is, like you're stuck in this. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think there's something, there's a lot to that message in the sense that what Sarity is saying and the same thing, whether it's shoes or whether it's life is he's saying like, Hey, and a lot of these sections, he's like, no, you can't just choose the, choose this route when we're out training. You have to choose this throughout the entire time, right? Yeah. So, it, it, and the message that I've told my college kids recently is you can't just choose to be tough when we're out on the track. And then when it comes to difficult life decisions or choosing the easy or the tough path, always go the easy path in life. Because what mm-hmm. happens is your brain just settles on, oh, like, okay. You know, uh, I'm going to choose the to heat this food up in the microwave and choose this instead of making a meal. Or I'm going to choose to skip this homework and just copy it from someone else um, because it's the easy path. Right? If you do that enough in life, then you're accustomed to choosing the easy path. Then when it comes out on the track, well, you're going to be biased towards the easy path. And I think that's where it helps understanding that like... Training is life, and life is training. (laughs) Right.
1: And most athletes, right, when do you see them in their absolute, sheer, pure state of joy? I mean, we saw it a lot, the emotions expressed at the World Championships. It's when they set a PR or when they win a medal or when they win a race. That moment is fleeting. You can't have it because it's the manifestation of a lot of blood, sweat, tears, toughness, focus. You know things you don't do. Remember, that's the true definition of who you are. You are defined. Who you are is defined by what you do not do, because there's so many things to do. What you don't employ makes you what you're going to be. And once that moment happens, that that click, that athlete, I've never felt this emotional rush of joy, enthusiasm, adrenaline. Look, I did it. I'm competent. I did something better than I've ever been able to do before. That's the thing you're selling your athletes, coaches. And that's the thing we're always selling. And you are always a salesman or a woman to sell them on that feeling, you know, inconsistently felt. Every race is an opportunity to feel that in some way. That's why we're doing what we're doing. Not because it's easy or we get paid a lot of money or because everyone, you know, has all these superficial trackers of likes or notoriety for it. It's because it just feels amazing when it's done the best that you can do it. And all the methods we're trying to, you know, pick apart our employer um expose everyone and the listeners to are just methods to say hey, how do we get to be at our best? I mean, you know, I can tell you 10 years ago I would have just ran them and ran them and ran them cuz I thought that was the thing. And now if I was a high school coach, I'd run my, you know, k- kids 10-50 miles a week less even if they're 40, 50 mile fifty-mile-week kids and get them in the weight room and just do basic push, pull, squat, hinge, plank, very simp hike activities because I know from a global strength standpoint that they're going to be able to run longer to not get hurt as much not has potential or potentially not get as much you know opportunity for nagging injuries or illnesses because we're working all their tissues from the hip down to... Hip up, and getting globally all their tissues stronger than just sending them on a run and hoping that they have the right shoes or the right inserts, so that then they don't get hurt. And if you don't have access to a weight room, get creative, like you know Percy did, you know, put, you know push-ups. I mean jungle gyms, pull-ups uh you know sandbags i mean heavy objects that are intelligent not you know not something silly but just have them do basic fundamental m- fundamental movement patterns you know it's going to get them strong just like just having people just go run is going to get people better at running <laughs> like it doesn't matter where you system
0: yeah and i would also argue that is like we need to get away from um our controlled environments right so opt Opt for the sand dunes, maybe. Right, if you have it. Um, opt for the hills that might make our time slower. You know, for certain workouts. Opt for the, opt for the trails that might develop some agility and ability to, um, for our feet to function a little bit better because we have to, you know, be aware and 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 have different uh, foot landing patterns than just like the straight running on a concrete trail like opt for those yes you have to prepare for them but like have that in your arsenal so that you're developing athletes in all all domains it's not it's not all about like going into the weight room and getting whatever strong or fit it's about applying a variety of stimuli so that the athlete is prepared for and flexible to be able to deal with whatever it is he has to encounter and I think sometimes we try and control too much um, to prevent that. And on that issue of control, I'm going to bring up this quote that I posted on Instagram that I love. Because I think this sums up his entire book for me.
1: Oh, you do? Because I got another quote that I think
0: sums up even better.
1: So we'll, what, we're what we going to have battle round. Quote battle round. All right. Steve's, Steve's quote versus Mars quote. All
0: right we'll go for it i just love this because it resonates okay. you with
1: first me. i'll finish I'll, you first i'll give all right. you
0: all right Got first it. move i mean you know what i'm gonna say so it's i it's... know
1: what you're gonna say and it's a really good quote
0: okay this is page 123 chapter eight for those who get the book and, and that's the best chapter by the way yes yeah. chapter eight it is Inconc- this is where
1: my quotes coming from too fyi uh, okay right. <laughs> another man right. steve go ahead
0: In conclusion, and to repeat, the belief adamant in my teachings is that the athlete must be developed in the end so that he be entirely self-reliant, self-dependent, able to know instinctively and understand his nature, personality trends, and his requirements in exercise and training from day to day, month to month, that he instinctively, by inner- Divination senses his strength and ability and the ebb and flow of both, that he feels a responsibility in the end, only to himself as a unique organism, even if it be within the corporate body or state. In this way only, I opine, can the athlete ever come face to face with himself as an athlete and a man, to be indifferent alike to praise or censure, honors or defeat, and to realize he is what he is, and does, because he is. He needs no other incentives, duties, loyalties. Such an athlete, and man, who I adjudge is the ultimate, will be positive in outlook, dominating as to his environment, successful in his attempted achievements, at least mostly. Mm. Mm, And what I love about that is it just sums it up and my view that, you know, I posted this on Instagram and Twitter, is that great coaches coach towards independence. And we've said that a lot of times on this podcast. But what you're trying to do is take an athlete to a journey. Training is a journey. Coaching is a journey. You're trying to take them along a journey to become a better person, right? And what often happens is the coach's ego gets in the way and we think it's about us developing an athlete to make us look better as a coaches and instead what you're trying to do is you're, you're essentially trying to make yourself obsolete where you what you say you know isn't that profound where the athlete knows The athlete figures themselves out. They understand the feelings. They've surpassed you in terms of understanding their self and can see things um, and feel things as good or better as as you can. Um, So it's about giving them that empowerment to coach towards independence versus creating dependent athletes who think that the only reason they are here is because of you the coach and the only reason that they can stay at this level is because of you the coach that might feel good as a coach to say oh these athletes owe me this much but it's a false dichotomy it's a false uh, a falsehood that isn't reality reality is that the athlete should be the one driving the ship
1: 100% agreed you know what I can add to that is coaching is best done with a high degree of empathy you know, it's hard emotional work to come and show up every day and have that empathy for every single athlete. Um, you know, and it's generous work. You have to give a lot of yourself, not just solely to the ones who the athlete who's going to get you the most notoriety, attention and spoils, but as well to the athlete all the way down to totem pole in terms of performance um, chart about who's going to about giving them just as much. And that's generous work. And it's important that you remember you have signed up for this as a coach. You're a servant who's giving generously the most of them that they can to every single person that they're interacting with. Because they might not reciprocate. Very rarely do they because they're young men and women still finding their way in the world. But if they can look back 10, 20 years from now and be like, man, that guy, that gal, shit. Like Steve said, I wish I would have known what Tom was trying to teach me then. Because he usually looks back now and goes, why was I the the, the dumb the down who couldn't get the lesson? That's, that's really what it's all about. And in that chapter 8, Percy references an athlete, um, last name is Fricker. And Fricker came to his training center. And Fricker was by no means a world record holder. It didn't, didn't even break like 150, 152 for the half mile. But he sums up that chapter. Steve read the preface to the chapter in his quote, and I'm going to take you through the towards the end of the chapter. And he sums that up by saying, "Look, Fricker is the one to emulate. The spirit of Fricker. He, this guy who showed up and did the work and got the best out of him he could. That's the person. Not necessarily Herb Elliott because because her brand fast. But this is what you want to champion, and that's what this this chapter is about. It really is about what to champion, and what to look for in champions, and how to define champions." You know, so he takes you through the example of Fricker and he goes, this is just one, of, one example of how the truly great will take what is left. The least and the last in the things that could or that do not count and are able to grasp and hold the things that do count. I can tell them the great ones and the, the less greats. The lessers tend to rush in and grab the best always. The great er greats. Stroll in without hurry and accept what is left in the things that do not really count. There is recognition by and acceptance by the fraternity of the truly great, those who judge and recognize their equals, not so much by their results as by their strivings, not so much by what they won, but by what they did, not so much by what they were, but what they became. But they are the ones who are known where it counts. And that me sums up, you know, the book in its earnest to kind of few couple it with Steve's passages as a coach. It's, or even, you know, it's what I call game recognized game. And that's the job. The job is to take what you got, take who showed up and, really work with them to help them become something a lot more than they ever thought they could be. And I mean it, it, that to me is the is infinitely more rewarding than the big bonus paycheck or you know the, this contractor this type of payment. I mean because that's that nur- that nourishes the soul, even though it might not nourish the bank account or the bills, it mm-hmm. nourishes the soul and that's the thing that keeps you going. And that's what life is really about, because this artifice of money and the industrial culture and revolution—that's pretty. That's only a couple hundred years old. But how we communicate and get nourished emotionally and centrally in what we feel is hundreds and thousands of years of human, of humanity, and that's the thing to. You know, point to in this book. And yes, you want to read it for the tactics and the techniques and clues on who he trained and how he trained. But that is why Steve and I, you know, follow along in this tradition, because it is a tradition of thinkers, teachers, coaches, whatever, who read widely and generously a variety of topics, who aren't just siloed into the mechanics of and the science behind how we execute and do these tasks that relate to our specific sport about running around in circles or over grasses and hills or asphalt very fast. But cause there's has to be more to there than that. And which there is, if you're reading, if you're reading on the right tradition and the right path, the books stumble upon each other. Just how Steve and I were joking offline. We underlined out so many of the same passages because you know we're similar and we have that, um, that game recognizes game, that 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 kinsmanship of this is what counts, these things. We didn't really underline oh Herbelliot did this and did this and did this in terms of workout. We underlined more how instead of the what and the why.
0: Exactly. And I think that's where, you know, if you look back at at our our progression as coaches, and I'll talk for you as well, is that early on in your your coaching development you're obsessed with the schedule right mm, you're, mm-hmm. you're you want to know the details you want to know the numbers and honestly coaching education takes you down that path too
1: yeah that i mean that's how you are initially <laughs> in, inbreed or initially in, in you know welcomed into this this profession is through that type of education everyone's like what book do you read or read daniel's guide to distance Rank. that's the number one thing
0: yes exactly <laughs> um and, and that's you know that's what is so refreshing about this book right here is that you know i i don't i don't even know if i remember a single like workout or whatever mentioned in there that herb did right um, or what the training <laughs> yeah. principle was like that's not that's not the lesson that i took away and if you're a young coach i could i could see yourself like reading this book and be like yeah, but like, how did Herb Elliott run 354? What was his key session that he did, his key workout? And if, if you do that, and you have that reaction, maybe this is a good analysis point. Maybe this is a good point to step back and be like, what am I missing here? What knowledge do I not have yet? Because yes, you need to understand like the X's and O's and detail, but really, true coaching the master and we are not there yet but someone like serity like he's spilling out the beans here he's he's providing mm-hmm. a path he's saying this is what you should pay attention to and what you should pay attention to although we are more sophisticated in our understanding of training and all that other stuff and nutrition and science and and you know to degrees that would astound serity most likely but the basis of what of dealing with humans has not changed. The basis yeah. of of getting maximal performance out of people has not changed. The basis of principles of coaching do not change, right? Because it's dealing with people, and this book is about dealing with people. You know, it, right. it, it's funny. I recommended to this this book to uh, some well known people who are not coaches or athletes and said hey this you read this stuff like this is Mm -hmm. this is our version of philosophy this is track coaching marcus aurelius right
1: right yes yeah this is yeah this is track coach
0: philosophy melded yeah Mm -hmm. yes exactly and and don't don't get me wrong percy had his flaws he had his mistakes as well right and he was human he was human and that's that's how it is but you take these lessons away and take the gems that that are there from someone who dealt with um, athletes and world-class athletes and developed athletes to a high level and understand what those principles are. And I I can't recommend this book enough because those last two passages, especially that chapter eight, like sums up um, a important piece that I think. Is a section where coaches often go wrong. Right? right.
1: I think we forget that we are naked apes and that humans, you know, Steve says we're coaching people, or you can say we're coaching athletes. You know, we're not coaching the workout. We're not coaching physiology systems. We're not coaching the stopwatch. We're not coaching pieces of paper. We're not coaching the result. Coaches are result oriented. We should be. But choose your result. What result do you want? Do you want the result of, I had these athletes who finished at this race, at this place, or won this, or did this, or did this. Or do you want to say, hey, I worked with these humans who went on to then go do these things, get married. These humans went on to go, you know, help and contribute to humanity in this way. I mean, that's really what our podcast here is. It's, it's contribution to the human nature because, again, we're naked apes. And never forget, humans are fragile delicate creatures and we all deserve empathy and we all deserve compassion to get the most out of us if that's what your aim is as a teacher or a coach and so when you remember and you're approaching a young man or woman or an older man or woman they're still fragile humans and we we work and we traffic in a world where we try to get them tough toughen up buttercup you know and, and we do things that are physically demanding and difficult and ask them to express this toughness this ability to endure right this discomfort this, this ability to endure this fatigue this ability to strive beyond themselves to either express their very best in the playing field of sport or do it for the team you know win one for the gipper
0: well that, and so you, we forget go ahead that you know and i think you're, you hit the nail on the head and i think what it's really about is really bad is in the message that we're really trying to convey here is that like success is is how we define it as right and mm-hmm. and this book to me is like a re-education on how to how to define success and what we do it as because coaches are performance oriented and yes performance matters but if all that matters is the stopwatch then all of our success and value goes towards that. Then that captures our attention. And what Percy is saying is that do not give that your soul attention. Give the journey, the development of the man, your attention. And if you give the development of the man your attention, and define your se- success in that way. And you define your success, as you quoted, as the fricker, the guy who came in and worked his ass off mm-hmm. and got respect from everyone else. But no one in the record books will ever remember him. But his peers will, because he was in the club, because his peers recognized this guy, he's one of us, he does the work. And, it, you know, I won't name names, but I've seen incredibly successful people who would still be desiring to be in in the group and they Mm, desire mm -hmm. to be that that recognition that external recognition and they're the ones looking at the flow track comments on their videos or the let's run threads and dissecting them and worrying about every single you know bash that came through um Oh shit!
1: I'd be honored if people bash the crap out of me and let's run. It means means someone cares what I'm doing. Right, <laughs> right. Thank you. It, Appreciate it. it. Like, it, yeah, it's an right.
0: honor, a privilege
1: to have haters. Like, and I love them. I love all the haters that that, that exist. But the right,
0: thing, yeah, and exactly. But the thing is, like, certain people will get at, and they'll define their success in that way, and it will drive them nuts, even though by any external measure they've been incredibly successful. Right, and reg- right. whether it's coaching or writing or or whatever it is, we've all seen the people driven, or whether it's something like Enron, right? Where Mm, you had mm, enough, uh, you know, millions of dollars wasn't enough to satisfy, it has to be billions, right? Right. And it's that when we we write our definition of success in that way, we're setting ourselves up to never be content, to never be satisfied, to never um, be true to you know, who we are as people. And, and that's
1: what Percy is challenging. Exactly. Is he's challenging, are you showing up to do a quote-unquote good job by whatever the, the national myth that you're told? If it's a recent consumer, industrious myth of good, doing a good job is you have a steady job – of repute that gives you a paycheck and you're able to do these and meet these matrix and do these tasks well. Then your boss says, hey, you did these tasks well and pats you on the back and you get a key to your job. Or are you striving for what you know Percy's talking about, which is making a difference and contributing, which is saying, How can I help? I'm helping whoever, not the best athletes, you know, as he said in that passage that I read, but I stroll the greater ones Stroll in last. They work with what's there. They don't say, Oh, I gotta recruit these these stunners. No, my favorite athletes are the athletes who I could depend on or who I taught and encouraged and showed it's worth giving your absolute best every race, no matter the no matter the placing. And that's you know, second part of my point. Coaches need to be and should be result oriented. Pick your result. You know, but never ever ever the athlete be result oriented. Always, always, always make the athlete be process-oriented because the spectators in a race sit in the stands. The spectators should not be on the track thinking and analyzing and judging what's going on in the moment. That's what the people in the stands do. The participants only are in the track, playing the game, responding, and being so hyper-cop in the moment and process-oriented that it goes by in a blip. They're like, oh, the race is over. This was awesome. It was a lot of fun. I don't even know what happened. Coach, can I watch my race? (laughs) You know, so uh, that is so paramount. You just have to identify are you showing up to do a good job and do a good task, or are you showing up to make a difference? And I hope that, you know, what Steve and I do at this pod is we try to get under your skin. We don't say we know it all. We try to hopefully encourage you to question what you're doing, why you're doing, what you're doing, and how you're doing. And leave you thinking about it a couple of days later. And as many coaches have reached out to me via direct message on Twitter or email and Steve in person and coaches with me in person, we're happy to respond. We will respond. And it will probably be very thorough. And so it might be a little bit slower because I want to do a good job when I respond to each of you. But I will respond. I'm there. I promise you. It might not be within you know 12 minutes or 12 hours, but it will come. And I'll tell you, hey, I got it. And I'll respond. Because – I get better by helping others, and as you, I, you know, I get better by asking questions. I mean, I call Vern up or other mentors up, and I say, Vern, what do you think? I got this question. I got this issue. How would you approach this? What's your response to this? Who do you? What do you think about this? What do you think about that? And that's how we develop our community, and that's what Steve and I are really trying to do. A lot of people call like you know listeners or whatever who are enrolled and engaged on a similar journey a tribe. It's not. It's a community. Like, and even though you don't know us from face to face or you know you feel like you could text me with some funny like gif or something you do know me and i know you we're not strangers because we're all cut from the same cloth so of trying to help teach and get better
0: there's there's a mutual bond in people along the same journey and trying to help athletes get better right and and that's what we're in the business. We're helping people get And married. that's
1: what Percy is. That's why we yeah. identified with yeah. this book so much. Steve and I, I, we haven't geeked out about a book like this in years, dude. I yeah. mean, seriously. No, no, seriously.
0: <laughs> like, and we, we read a lot of books. Yes, and we geek out. I think the last book we geeked out like this time was like Anti-Fragile, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so. It, it, but that's the point is, you know... It, it, it's easy to sit behind this podcast and be like, "Hey, like, yeah, you're listening. You're part of the group." But it it really is like that. I mean, I was over at the World Championships and um, good friends with a uh, a very good uh, Australian coach, Adam Diddick who coached a, who coached um, one of the girls who got ninth in the marathon. And I'm out with him, and he uh, he brings another along, another coach um who used to be a a shot putter and now coaches some distance athletes and he's like oh man i listened to your pod and i gave him the shout out before then, but i didn't know who this guy is and we spent you know two hours at the bar at you know 11 10 11 o'clock at night talking training and coaching right and i think that how cool is that and i never met never knew never heard of this guy in my life before but yeah, you, and you, that's what it's about yeah and that's that's how it is because like we're coaches right like we geek out yeah. on this stuff and like yeah, i mean
1: i have a friend like thor Epstein here in you know portland who coaches at wilson high school and Thor is like you know he listens to the pod he's probably listening this one so shout out to you big dog and you know he was like oh man i'd just like to create a little you know coaches community and exchange ideas when i go thor take the initiative go do it and he did it and now he has a group of Portland area coaches that meet once a week. I mean, once a month over pizza and beer or, you know, whatever. And for an hour or two hours, they just talk whatever theory. How would you handle this athlete? You know, rules, you know, venting, whatever. But their bond is so much greater. And I'm like, he, you know, it's been a year since I encouraged him to do that. and He did it. He took the initiative. And I was just like, great job. And he goes, well, I couldn't do it without your nuts. He no, you just needed my nuts just to like. Get you get you go get your engine started, but you wanted to do us and you're doing a great job, dude. And I'm frankly jealous. <laughs> I wish we could have one, Steve, so you, me, Dan, some other cats.
0: <laughs> one one of these days, one of these days, we'll uh, we'll get it done. Cause, but that's what it is. Like we we joke about it. We but we all have our little collectives, right? Of of coaches who we converse with and bounce things off with, and the the more coaches in our community who we can create, who um, become a part of this. And this podcast is part of that, right? To spread that message and do things the right way. And what is the right way? Well, it's the stuff we talked about, like developing people. Like the right way isn't a a training program. It's not a training schedule. You don't have to agree with all my training principles, but we're all trying to develop better people. And
1: we're showing up and we're trying to contribute to the big haystack of ideas and the big haystack of what's going on out there. And that's all it is, a contribution. So, you know. It, it, yeah.
0: So we'll we'll try and do our part and uh, push that message and create that. And maybe, as we've talked about in the previous, maybe do some sort of, um, you know, listener call in or write in or answer your questions type deal. On yeah, that'd be,
1: that'd, be, that'd be really sophisticated for us. But in the meantime, just hit us up on Twitter. I think that's the easiest way. You can just tweet straight up at us, or send us a direct message. And I, I usually will get a direct message, and someone asks me a very good, juicy question that deserves a generous, thorough answer. And I'll be like, "Oof, it's a little too long for me to
0: reply in my Twitter inbox." So I'll probably ask you for your email as well. But, but you, you know, just thinking out loud because that's what we do on this podcast is we should we should start uh putting those up in hashtagging on twitter for answers because i think the more more answers we share publicly right on these yeah. questions that we all have the more maybe dialogue we can create um because we all have these questions and, you know i do too um so maybe maybe that's something we can uh figure out how to do and um Let us know because the
1: tipping point is people pushing and nudging us and and me telling Steve, Steve, the people need another pod. I was at a coach's clinic this weekend and they're like, hey, when's the next pod dropping? I go, I don't know. I'm waiting for Steve to get back from London and press record so we can go. So,
0: (laughs) You you know – I'm gonna blame that one on Danny Mackey because. Um, yes,
1: but, hey, When in doubt, do it. the Let's Run message boards do right. and blame
0: it all on Danny Mackey. That's right. Da- <laughs> Danny Mackey ruined my podcast recording because, you know, he took me on that eight mile run through through like uh-huh. the busiest part of London every morning. So um, uh,
1: best scapegoat ever. All right, Coach. Next time, next coaches. Next time you're out at a race and the, the yeah. athletes don't do well, blame it on Danny Mackey and say, we well, Magnus and Marcus told me to. That's right. Blame Danny. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, uh, and I think we've hit our limit. Hey, he'll, he'll find his humorous but I'm I'm cracking up. <laughs> <laughs> hopefully, Danny, don't don't stop message, don't stop texting us if you uh listen to this pod. <laughs> this will be a test. um So okay. I, I think we've hit our limit on um, on how far we've gone before this. Uh, yes, the, we gave you a long
1: run podcast. Hope the, you got some good miles in, and hopefully, you thought a little differently. And if you haven't. Two very important books to pick up: the Peak Performance <laughs> book by Steve Magnus and Brad. I always forget Brad. How you say Brad's last name? Stolberg. Stolberg. And then the Athletics semicolon How to Become a Champion with Percy Wells. Cursey. What? Well, Let me say the last name again.
0: I'm, I'm just making it up. Sarity, I think it is.
1: Sarity, that's it, Sarity. Sorry, if, if, that was if, last name.
0: If someone can give us the uh, correct pronunciation of that, um, <laughs> preferably, you know, maybe an Australian comes in and chimes in and, and tells us.
1: Yeah, how it goes, hey, mate, here's what it is. <laughs> uh, uh, we should ask Lee Troop. That's what we should do. Yeah. Call Lee.
0: Right.
1: Lee would tell us. We'll get those but, books um and and tell us what you think Guaranteed, i guarantee it i'm not just saying that because my name's in one of them
0: (laughs) (laughs) definitely not the percy book unless you time traveled (laughs) somehow wish though i wish it was too i'll add i'll add it in there all right everybody thanks for listening thank you thank you thank you until the next one
1: Uh, we'll see you people